Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Books Boys, live from the Grand Library, the Dean and PJ. He's PJ. Hi, guys. How's it going? I'm the Dean. Hey. And we are hey. the Books Boys. The one and only. This is the Books Boys True. Get it? Buy it? Books. Books. PJ, how still, are you? I'm doing very well. Still confused as to, as to what books are. Something to do with paper. But we'll, we'll get to it. I'm getting, I'm getting a notion to what books are. We'll try and come back to that later. It's, it's a bit tricky. Um, okay. People aren't really yeah, sure. Still getting it. Yeah, we get some fan mail asking, you know, look, I'm listening. I like the show, but I just don't know what the heck you guys are even talking about. Like, you know. Yeah, right. What, paper, what are these books? Just to mention, joined yeah. in the uh, in the webcam chat this week by Egyptian Cat uh, Souvenir. So right there on camera. Is. Ah, I see you now. There he is. Okay. There we wow, go. okay. Let's get stuck in to see what. <laughs> Always a special guest. We have Apollo. We have the Christmas Rat. Guest. And now the cheap Egyptian Cat Souvenir. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm holding a candle, listeners, because I actually wanted this episode to be about spooky ghost stories. But then we did reminded me it's right. January. It's not Halloween. So we missed that. Bits. You know, that was our first episode. But we'll we'll get there. Like we'll get there. Next time there'll be well, not next time, but it's sometime there'll be spooky ghost stories. <laughs> so just get ready for that, guys. All right, then. So, so I think you read a lot this this one. Oh you? my god, I read since we last did an episode. I have read seven books, um, okay, and that's insane. Now, one of those was your novel, and we already talked about that in a separate show. So that leaves me with six. I'm going to whittle this down as quickly as I can. One of those was the El Prisionero del Cielo, the Prisoner of the Sky. It was the uh, third Zafon book. We're not going to talk about that because mm-hmm. next month I'm going to spend most of the month reading the monstrously huge thousand-page fourth installment, and we're going to do pretty much a whole episode about Zafan. Yeah, we will indeed. I've also read the whole uh, what's well, a tetralogy, but I've read the first three, and I read another book of his. So we'll talk. And we are about Carlos Ruiz Zafon. Actually, next so, month we want to take so a look. We're whittled, that, we're whittled down to five, or really four and a half. The first two books right. um, are really the same book. So you may remember on a previous episode, I talked about the sequel to The Three Musketeers, the third in the trilogy, The Viscount of Bragelon. That was part yeah. one of three. Uh, I've, this month, I've read parts two and three. So I've got here, so if... I don't know if you can see it. It's a lovely little book. Um, it's, yeah, a little, no, yeah. it's a 600-pager, but it's a little pocket-sized thing. You can slip that in your pocket. Yeah, it's a nice bendy cover. Doesn't doesn't well, it looks, break. It looks a, 
good quality. Well, it looks like a Bible, actually. So it looks like a Bible, thinking, yeah. Reading, it's even got the little ribbon. Yeah, it's got a little ribbon to hold your page, really thin paper. It looks like a Bible, but it's so easily transportable. I love it. You can just stick it in your back it's, pocket. It's the good it's the good book. All right. So this so is Louise de la Valliere. Okay. And the second part that I read, the final part of the Musketeers, The Man in the Iron Mask. Now this is only a half installment because the rest are all six hundred pages. This one's like two hundred and fifty. So it's it's just a little conclusion rather than maybe a full installment. Okay, okay. Um, but I, I'm going to kind of review these as one book. Okay, go ahead. So basically, where we left off with the Viscount of Bragalone was, we had read about 600 pages and discovered that he was barely in it. Um, so I thought, well, don't worry, we'll get to the next parts. Maybe we'll see more of this chap. And right at the beginning, here he is, and then he disappears for 400 pages. So still not really what? about the Viscount of Bragalone. But who we do okay. see a lot of is this girl, Louise de la Valliere, and that's his fiance. They are affianced. Um, so he likes this girl. They're engaged to be married, but the king won't let them marry. Then okay. they send him to England, and then we don't see him for 400 pages. They just kind of say, oh, go and speak to the king in England, and you know we'll send for you when we want you. Convenient plot device. There goes the main character for most of the book. Um and then the king decides, well, now that he's gone, I like Louise de la Valliere. Why don't I get with her? Oh, oh. Now, of course, the Jiggy. king's already married to the queen and already has a mistress who is just called Madame, who's actually his brother's wife. Oh. So there's a lot of shenanigans oh. going on, a lot of Saucy. shenanigans. Yeah. This is the kind, like of thing that with... <laughs> this is the kind of thing that happened with the Louise, with the, with the French court, you know, a lot of shenanigans. But... Um... Yeah, I mean, to be honest, Louise de la Valliere, out of all five installments in The Three Musketeers, it's the it's the weakest. Mm. Um, because okay. it's in the middle of a big long book, and it was released in three installments. So it has no beginning and no end. It just kind of starts randomly yeah, yeah. and ends randomly, which, which hurts it a little bit. Um, but then when you factor in that the majority of the book is all about the king and his love for Louise, and then you realize that The Three Musketeers are not involved in that, and that that story is completely irrelevant to the overall story arc and barely comes up even in the final installment, you kind of realize you're just wasting your time with this like side story, this gaiden of you know this affair that isn't really relevant. And we don't see much of the Three Musketeers, which is sad. We don't That's see pretty. Porthos very much at all. We see a bit of Aramis, and we see Athos once or twice, and it's sad. And, you know... Altogether, if you put these three installments together, The Viscount of Bragalone is 1,600 pages almost. And at no point do the four musketeers appear together. So that's the three musketeers plus D'Artagnan, the lead. At no point do all four of them appear together. Maybe in twos, once or twice in threes. And it's really strange that, you know, this is the massive, massive sequel to your, your big series. And you somehow write yourself into such a convoluted plot with so many side characters that you're never able to get your four characters together in that amount of pages is ludicrous. And uh, what's the point? Uh, what's the kind of, what do you think was the guy's intention? Well, you may uh, well ask, guys, what, do you what think is was the point? Intention? <laughs> what yeah. is the point? Because I don't know. Um, I mean, the original Three Musketeers is brilliant. The sequel is quite good as well. That's 20 years after. Um, but this massive, and, this massive third installment, I, I don't really know what the point of most of it was. 
but was it written like Dickens and a lot of the other great authors back in the 19th century did in, um, in, in kind of installments in newspapers, for example? Was it a kind of a weekly no, uh, he, he wrote all? this as w- with the intention of it being one novel. It was then split up right, afterwards right, okay. into installments because it was just too bloody long. Okay. <laughs> so they, they yeah. had to split it up afterwards. But I mean, Louise de la Vallière, don't get me wrong. It's a nice read. It's an enjoyable book. And maybe if it was a standalone book, I wouldn't mind. And there's a lot of intrigue. Yeah, yeah. There's different characters. There's Malacamp and Manicorn. And there are these two kind of stooges type characters and they're friends, but they're always intriguing. And one of them's so poor that he lives off the other one and pawns his shirt. And then at the end of the month, when he gets his money, you know, he goes and gets his shirt back from the pawnbrokers and all this kind of thing is going on. Yeah, all that kind and, of stuff. you know, a lot of shenanigans. And then they're helping the king to meet the girl and then, you know, keep it a secret from his wife and his mistress. And a lot of things like this, you know. And it is an enjoyable read. I just don't really understand. It could have been done maybe in 200 pages instead of 600. You know, it was just really dragged out. And then you realize at the end, it's completely irrelevant to the overall story and to the conclusion. Yeah. And you kind of think, well, did I kind of waste my time a little bit? Sounds like sounds like a kind of book you sadly will forget. Yeah. You. I mean, out of the five installments, you would forget it. And at the very last, the very end, and I swear, the last 15 or 20 pages, he says. De my literary rights, you know, oh, but we've forgotten about our protagonist. Here comes Raoul, the Viscount of Bragelon, and he kind of comes running in, and then the book ends, you know. <laughs> it's like, let's get to the, to the last installment. And I will say he picked it up. The Man in the Iron Mask is the smallest installment. Um, it's as good, I think, as the original Three Musketeers. He really, really okay, brings awesome. it back. It's just action. There's a big siege. We get more of the characters. We see Porthos, who's the big, strong musketeer. Aramis, who's been... He's the one that wants to be a priest. He's been doing a lot of weird um, mischief because he became a priest and then he became a bishop and now he wants, <laughs> now he wants to be pope and he's going to dethrone the king and he's, he's joined some kind of Jesuit cult. He's become the leader of the cult, and now he's like doing high treason. Like, there's a lot of political intrigue as well. So, hold on a second. He, did he become the pope? He no, no, hold on. That's, that's it. But he becomes so the he becomes leader, a Jesuit leader. Yeah. He becomes the leader okay, of the Jesuit cult that are planning on overthrowing the pope and the French king. So, saucy. You know, okay. Yeah, but I don't know where his ambition came from. I don't remember seeing that ambition in the first book when he was just having some mistresses and dreaming <laughs> of being a priest. You know, it's a weird. Uh, it's a weird way to have the ambition, but then, you know, a lot of time has passed. 20 years between books one and two and another 10 years later. So it's a lot of time has passed, but... Um, it, it it does sound like Dumas went over... Uh, it, it all went uh, over his head a bit, didn't it, the whole thing? I think he uh, kind of like got the... lost a bit with this book. <laughs> okay, okay. But it's just like, it sounds it sounds epic, but the problem is with epic stories, you got to keep the threads... Uh, together you know, yeah. can't have them loose like that it's yeah. almost like it's very loose there's a lot of irrelevant stuff a lot of characters coming in in a, in a dickensian fashion but he fails yeah. to kind of tie them up and make them relevant in that little beautiful victorian package where everything all comes together at the end you know right. um, but what dickensian, he does yeah. do is he does yeah. a spectacular ending there's a big okay, scene you know um aramis don't, don't, don't say ways. the ending no no i'm not going to give any details that's literally all okay, i'm okay, kind of going to say um we still don't see everybody together, but we do see everybody, you know, the characters we care about. Um, and our main lead, D'Artagnan, who spends most of these 1500 pages just standing, leaning against walls, you know, he suddenly springs into action and, you know, 
um, gets you know gets involved. He's kind of a not the captain of the musketeers, but he's like a sub captain, a lieutenant or something. So we see a lot more of him towards the end. But you know what annoyed me? The person who who wrote the back cover of this clearly didn't read the damn book, because they've put on the oh, back. Never has Dumas' wonderful imagination, inexhaustible and unique, been applied more successfully than in this powerful story of the mystery of the man, the prisoner Louis the Fourteenth, whose identity remains a mystery to this day. Was he an illegitimate son of the king? Was he his illegitimate brother? Was he a twin of the king? Whatever one decides, Dumas' masterpiece cannot light. Blah blah blah. If you'd read the book you'd know that Dumas' interpretation is very, very clearly the twin of the king. It's it's right there in the book. So, you know, whoever wrote this okay. back cover clearly didn't didn't read it. Um, didn't, what, didn't have time, didn't have time to read the thing? Time, yeah, I mean, it's I a had, really, really good installment, but you got to get through all the other crap to yeah, get yeah, yeah. it, you know? <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem. Okay, okay. And have you, do you know about the man in the iron mask, PJ? Uh, no, I haven't, because, like you just said, I'd rather start from the beginning, and I haven't read any of the books yet. So. But you've not heard the... So The Man in the Iron Mask is based, like all these books, on stuff that is set in history. Uh, the Man in the Iron Mask okay. is a myth we first hear about from Voltaire. And, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah and it's, you know, he's believed to be a real person who's he... a prisoner who wore this big iron mask so no one could see who he was. But as you mentioned, just so you know, listeners, Voltaire, author from Candide. Yeah, we covered author. Candide on episode one, yeah. I think. Uh, or two, perhaps, but One indeed, but like, indeed, uh, Candide or the Optimism. But anyway, say more so, yeah. So we yeah, don't know so, who's, who who was. And there's movies about this, and there's a lot of you know a lot of uh, culture about the Man in the Iron Mask, and he was believed to be a real prisoner. Mm-hmm. Dumas' interpretation is that he's the twin brother of the king, and obviously they oh, didn't want any crazy. civil war, so they just took him and put him in a in a cell all his life, so that nobody would see that wow, there was okay. another pretender to the throne who's has the same rights really as the legitimate king and he has to wear this iron mask so no one can see that he looks exactly like the king wow that's crazy actually so i mean if, but, if they'd read that, that sounds... they would have known but you know whatever <laughs> but can you read the book by itself or should one read all the books before that you see it's really really good but i do kind of feel like i mean i'm not don't get me wrong you could kind of read it and get some enjoyment out of it but you wouldn't really know what's going on or who anyone is you know, yeah, yeah, it's because it does sound that that one sounds good. I would say even your... if you read the original Three Musketeers and then you skip to this end part, you would get a bit of enjoyment because you'll at least know the characters. Okay. But it's a yeah, bit okay. of a drag to read, you know, all five installments, especially that fourth one, Louise de la Valliere, is is really slow. <laughs> okay, uh, really, really slow. Whereas the Man in the Iron Mask, I read in one day. I read this during my travels really? back from yeah. Spain. One day, yeah. Well, Couldn't okay. put it down. It was just amazing. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that does sound like a book I would want to read, but not the other one, the fourth one. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, even the guy who yeah. wrote the back cover, who got paid to write the back cover, couldn't make it all the way through. <laughs> so we can't really expect yeah, right. the listeners, you know. <laughs> all right. So um, tell us more. What did you? So then I moved on to this month's kind of guilty pleasure book, um, and I want to rephrase oh, yeah. that. I'm not saying anything bad about these books. I'm just saying they're a diversion for me away from the classic literature so it's when you're listening yeah. to you know i don't know jazz or, or or you know classical music and then one day you just want to put some acdc on that's your guilty pleasure not saying there's anything oh, bad yeah. about them and um, this one's called one or little mistake. ACDC, yeah. yeah exactly i mean they're my favorite band <laughs> but one little mistake by emma curtis now mm-hmm. i'm not going to give any more spoilers than the front cover itself gives okay on the front cover you trusted your best friend you shouldn't have. 
So, I mean, that's the plot of the book. It's right there on the front cover. <laughs> I don't know if that was a mistake. I don't know if they really should have done that. But effectively, what we have here is um, we have this lady. She's got a husband and she's got three kids. And, and she the book decide... is called One Little Mistake by who? By Emma Curtis. So okay. what happens here is she she gets herself into some bother. She leaves her kid alone in the house and then someone breaks in. The kid's fine, but she trusts her best friend with a secret. And she's also having an affair which she trusts her best friend with a secret. So that all happens in like That's the awesome. first chapter or two. So it's not a major kind of spoiler. Um, and then, of course, as you guessed, she shouldn't have trusted her best friend. And then there's a big story about the kind of the intrigue, the betrayal and everything like that. Um, but also, right. it it loses me a wee bit because, you know, we get to a part in the end where it's like, oh, but suddenly everyone's been using fake names and your best friend actually isn't, you know, they've got a different name and you've got a different name and it's getting a bit confusing. There's a little bit too many coincidences, right. you know, if you're going to kind of write those twists mm. in there you can't do the same twist twice with the two main characters in the same book, I think. Right, you know? that's, that's a bit unusual. So they both have fake they're, names. And, you know, okay. well, yeah, they're both using both. different names than they previously used, which is why, you know, the story works. And it's kind of... Okay. I think that's a mistake to do twice. But it, it is a good okay. book. Um, It's about a four 400-pager. It's a really enjoyable read. I like these these little romantic thrillers, you know, where it's set yeah. in the real world. You can see the people, their families, their lives. They're just, you know, in England. It feels real. It is kind of gr- rooted in the modern yeah. times. And that is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, I don't like the... A little bit of sexism in it. And you'd think a book, a modern book, written by a woman with two main protagonists who are both female, hmm. wouldn't have uh, so much sexism. And I don't even mean, you know, sexism in like a a particularly bad way, but just some stereotypes. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a big fan of, you know, the only thing a mother should really care about is her children. Like that's her whole kind of meaning of life. I mean, there's a quick quote here. I can't understand any woman who would leave her child alone. In my experience, it usually means there's something wrong in the situation, either domestic abuse or a failing relationship. Either way, you're talking about unhappy women who are so engrossed in their own problems, they lose sight of what's really important, their children. And there's a lot of bits like that in the book where it's like, you know, but you're the only thing that you should care about is your children. Like, you know, and they'll think I'm a bad mother because I didn't do that. And and that's all of it. And there's bits where, you know, she's saying to her husband, the bad girl's kind of saying to her husband, you know, your job is just to go out and earn money for me, basically. And my job's to kind of stay home and, you know, be pretty or whatever. There's a lot of weird sexist, sexist stereotypes that I didn't expect from like a modern book written by a female author. All right. Okay. Jeez. All right. Well, that's a pity, but um, especially from yeah, from a, from a modern woman author. I mean, but anyway. All right. Yeah, that's a pity. I also don't enjoy it. I I don't particularly enjoy it either. But it's one of those things that you know sometimes you, sometimes it happens. Um, it's nothing too bad. It's nothing you know insulting or anything. It's just those kind of stereotypes. Which is just yeah. a pity. Yeah. Um, before I move on to the final two books that I read, though, I just want to quickly step back for 30 seconds, because what I fail to point out about the Dumas books is the thing that makes me love them the most. And when I compare it to this book, it kind of reminded me. It's the the romance, the kind of thing that you'll have seen yourself when you've been reading Cervantes um, a couple of months ago, when you see the, yeah. the, the chivalry 
And there's a great scene where this guy uh, insults his friends, so they have a duel to the death. And you know, he they they kind of run at, charge at each other on horses, and one of them is dying, and the other guy runs away. And then uh, someone comes and finds him and helps him. And of course, they accuse him of having been the one to hurt him in the first place. And then he's, <laughs> he says, you know, if you accuse him, I will fight you to the death because this guy helped me. And it's just constantly like, I will fight everyone to the death, even though I'm dying already. I've got no strength in my body. But if you say a bad word That's... against this person, I will have another duel with you immediately, sir. It's just this jumping straight into um, you know, just uh... to the chivalry. That's very Don Quixote-esque because um, uh, no, because Don Quixote is constantly getting into um, fights. But then he says, like, oh, we just want to help me. And says, well, how dare you touch my hand, thou, thou, thou swine, you. And like then he says, I, I, I challenge you to, uh, to a duel. And he's like, well, I'm just a farmer, just here taking on my, <laughs> my crops. And he said, no, I challenge you. You, you, stole the, you stole the treasure from Ghana or something like that. You stole that princess from Zambia. And like this is not this is not medieval Spain anymore. This is just kind of like uh, just Renaissance Spain, but mm. still very kind of very much commercial kind of values, and not anymore chivalry. But I, I hear that uh, Dumas was very influenced, as was Dickens, as were yes, I think so. as as, I mean, was, as was every, author, every author basically. <laughs> basically, yeah, but just the, especially the character of Don Quixote, you know, basically that person who doesn't want to live in the real world. I think every author can relate to that, and that's why it's been so. Yeah, I mean, much, I think my yeah. my own life kind of runs along that kind of trajectory, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I have Everyone. one very quick quote. It's only a two line quote, but I I love it. It just gives you a bit of an idea of of the but kind of theme book, of the book. So this is the king. Oh, human heart, compass for kings to steer by. When shall I learn to read your secret folds like the pages of a book? No, I am not a bad king. No, I am not a poor king, but alas, I am still a child. And he kind of realizes that, you know, he's been governing just through, you know, selfishness and his own desires like a child mm. instead of what's good mm. for his, his subjects. So I, 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 I recommend, um, you know, trying to read at least the original Three Musketeers book. Okay, okay. Um, sounds up. Sounds you want cool. me to go on with my last two, or do you want to take a break and and do some stuff yourself? What do you think, PJ? No, no, go go ahead. No, I think I'm no. Go ahead okay. and talk about your last two books. Yeah. So then uh, we're gonna have a highs and lows. We're gonna go on a on a book related roller coaster. Okay. The first right, one is the over. high. This is "Keep the Aspidistra Flying" by George Orwell. No, oh, yeah. you probably haven't read this one, but I'm guessing you know about you know Animal Farm and 1984, right? Love, love, nineteen eighty four, particularly. Yeah. So this is earlier than that. It's his third out of his six novels. The two, sorry, it's his mm. second or third. The two famous ones are the last two. Um. So this yeah. one was a little bit earlier, and I mean, they're all all his novels are you know short. Um. This is three hundred pages of big text. I'd say you could get this done in about two hundred pages if you tried. Um. Okay. Basically, there's no plot to this until near the end. Most of the book, it's just this guy who doesn't want to live in the money world. He doesn't want to live in the money world. He doesn't like capitalism. He just wants something different. Uh, his friend is a socialist, and he's not a socialist, and he's not a communist, but he's a, a bit of a nihilist. He wants war to come and just wipe everything out. He just kind of thinks that London is just a disaster. And it, even though this is written in the 1930s, um, you know, 100 years after some of Dickens' key works, 
it's Dickens London. Like it's the same London. You can mm. you can see the continuity in it. And mm. this guy, I mean, he's got he's got a, a a fiance. They've never slept together because she won't do that till they're married, and they're too poor to afford to get married. So there's this ongoing tension <laughs> with dilemma. him. Yeah, they've got this dilemma, and there's this ongoing tension. But he causes all of his own problems. And although in the beginning you think, well, I'll sympathize with this guy. I kind of get where he's coming from. He's been dealt a bad hand. He works in a bookshop. So like straight away, I like him. But then, yeah, of course. you know, he, he, keeps, he keeps screwing everybody over, basically. So he's living off his family. They're all poor, but they all saved up money to send him to university. He did no work in university, kind of dropped out near the end, you know, didn't put any effort in. Then he still got a good job anyway, because his family, you know, set him up with a job. He quit the good job. He later gets another good job that he also quits. So he, you know, he's causing his own problems. And he keeps saying, I just want to go to the gutter. Like, I don't want to live in this capitalist world. I don't want a good job. I don't want to be a happy little family in their little house with an aspidistra on the shelf. This is the his symbol of, like, boring domestic life is this plant, this aspidistra. And he just wants yeah. to to you know live in the streets, to go to the gutter. Um, and he's you know sponging off his family and his friends. He's borrowing money from his sis, his uh, cousin that he has no intention of ever paying back. Um, but there's not really a story. And he's also an alcoholic as well. He keeps getting drunk and stuff like that. So he's not really um, the kind of character that you really feel much empathy for. Um, and it yeah. gets really really bad when he he also sexually assaults the girlfriend, the fiance. Um, so you kind of right, think, okay. like, this isn't, like, a, a sympathetic character, you know? And I don't want to spoil the ending. Um, don't spoil the ending. But it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice read. Uh, you don't like the main character, but it all, you know, it all kind of comes to a, to a head eventually. Okay. I was just going to say, like, um, what about the last read you said you had? Was the that, last one uh, I'll cover in two minutes very quickly. Um, I decided to step back to an even older book. I normally stick with Victorian kind of books. I decided to go a little bit earlier. Yeah. This is a book highly right. recommended by Orwell, and it is uh, Gulliver's Travels. Jonathan Swift. Is that why you read it? Yeah, it is that mean, read that's it? one of the reasons I read it. It's been on my shelf for ages, and it says in the back, you know, Orwell recommended it as one of the six most indispensable <laughs> books in the world. So, Really? Okay. And, I mean... Okay really boring the longest 300 pages i've ever read in my life really really see, it was just a drag to get through you see i just know the plot and i love the plot so that surprised me so um i would have expected it to be a great kind of adventure you would uh, think book. imagine a book that i mean there's it's all prose there's no there's no dialogue and there's not really many paragraphs so you tend to just get pages of constant chunks of, of narration you know, and that's, oh, that's it. That's just tedious. endless yeah, narrate. It's very tedious. Uh, and it's split into four. And, you, you know, all the four parts were important and we needed them because they influence a lot of other work later. So the first part is with the Lilliputians. That's the, the little kind of miniature people. And we get obviously a lot yeah. of things from that. We get the borrowers and we've even had some, you know, Studio Ghibli work with that kind of stuff, you know. So that's yeah, something course, that's, yeah. that permeates it's, through the it's culture. In, um, it's in, it's in the, the, you know, for example, the Laputa... Uh, Castle in the Sky, exactly. for example, did you? that's influenced by it, and and uh, Arietti was the you know of course yeah, was the exactly. Borrowers, was based in that. So yeah, I, I was looking forward to this book, and now you say it's not that good. Yeah. Well, that's only the so, first part, you see. So then the sec, they're all, all about right. seventy pages each, roughly. These kind of four parts. So after okay. Little People, he goes to the second part, and I think he ran out of ideas immediately and said, "Oh, I'll just do Big People next." So 
They go to Brobdingnag and suddenly they've got really big people and he's the little person and it's just a reverse of the same story, basically. Okay. Um, then the third part, I think he had a lot of little ideas but didn't know what to do with them all. So he mixed them all up in one and there's a floating island castle, uh, you know, which is one of the cities he visits and there's a city of ghosts and he just kind of puts a lot of little ideas but he doesn't really have any story or any plot for any of them. Again, a pity because I, I kind of think of that is epic i love those ideas but like you say they're just like a bit disjointed was this a pity at this you know? point he's just throwing ideas out yeah and the only time yeah. i really enjoyed it was the last part he goes to this place i think you'll like this where the humans are the servants and horses are the citizens oh i actually do love that yeah and the horses are talking and he tries to live like a horse and he's like distancing himself from these other humans who are called yahoos who are brutes and savages and he doesn't want to be like them and there's some, this is, is the most humorous yeah. part. And by the end of it, you know, he's actually... There's no plot stories, but he just, you know, he tries to emulate the horses, which is all I was kind of going to say. Which which reminds me, that's interesting. Hold on a second. Hold on, stop there a second. That's very interesting because we just talked about George Orwell. That's that's very much like Animal Farm. The, yes. uh, what is it again? The the pigs trying to imitate the humans. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, the pigs imitate the humans and the other animals can't even tell which is which by the end of it. I think that's, you know, maybe an influence here. But I mean, I should point out this is meant to be satire. You know, he's he's doing a um, satire of travel books where people go to real places and just write kind of boring travel stories. So he did a satire where they go to these kind of magical places with, you know, floating castles and, you know, massive giants Um, and whatever. So yeah, I heard about that. It's supposed to be a parody of just the travel guide of the time, which was very different to the kind of travel guide you have now. It was very subjective as well, wasn't it back then? And just kind of like more like a memoir. But also, I heard that it was banned for that. You know, it was banned for that reason. People thought it was blasphemous, very insulting towards both authors and towards the people who read it. And I think also people considered it a very cynical book. So like, it wasn't very. Uh, yeah, it wasn't popular by all. It's just a shame that it's it's quite boring, you know. I think maybe just dialogue that would have broken funny. things up, you know. But I guess, I guess they hadn't got to that in in seventeen twenty six. I don't know. That is such a pity because the the ideas I actually do love. Though. That that sounds like you see those sounds like the that sounds like the kind of thing I would have um, enjoyed a lot, you know. Yeah, I think that's it. They took yeah. great ideas and then you know, I think people have done better things with all those ideas since. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Well, PJ, I think well, it's your turn. Do you want to tell us what you've been reading? Yeah, I want to talk about... Uh, I want to talk about, basically, the stuff I've been reading is uh, a lot of poetry this month. And I've been reading a lot of poems from my dad, actually. So, as you know, uh, Kieran Burke calls himself also Kyron Burke. Uh, he's a musician. He's an artist. He's a writer. He's a painter and an actor and is an all-around, you know, great chap, actually. Very good friend of mine, being my dad. So it's good that he's my friend. And just because we're editing poems, our own poems, at the beginning of the month, uh, I was just reading a lot of his poems. And I continued reading his poems. And then also, he also sent me his his third novel, basically, which is in process. So I just wanted to um, kind of just revise everything he's kind of always sent me throughout the years. And that was a lot of different stuff. But I'll start with the poetry. Uh, basically, he's, um, he's known as a musician. 
and lyricist. So not really a poet. So reading his stuff as poems and also reading the the what are you know basically lyrics as poems is a very different experience. And um, I find that reading his stuff as obviously me being his son is is obviously it's a very subjective experience. But I'm also just reading into it a lot of the kind of history of Ireland. And um, basically, for those of you who don't know, uh, Northern Ireland has been obviously Northern Ireland for quite some time now, Dean. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dean, has been 99 years. years. I think, yeah, 100 years this year sometime. 100 yeah. years this year. 100 years this year, and it's quite so it's quite relevant. Uh, my dad grew up in uh, Dublin. But he's been living in Northern Ireland for quite some time. I'm not going to mention the years because his age is is a is a <laughs> is a secret. No, it's a secret. So no spoilers. He's been here for a while, and in North, sorry, in Belfast. When I say here, and um, yeah, so basically, when I read his stuff, when I read his two novels, the two novels he finished, and also the one he's writing, the the bit that I've read, it's very much basically an Irish history. <laughs> from the last however old it is that's again that's a secret let's just say let's just say it's been a a few years and it's all that history but he even goes back to the roots of ireland you know talking about saint patrick uh, bringing the snakes Mm -hmm. and um you know people basically all the people on horses and as soon as they get off it they grow old and all that and that's basically all in his in his prose, in his poems, in his songs, in his paintings. And what I like about him is that, and not enough artists do this, I find, that he just expresses himself through whatever medium he Mm -hmm. needs to express himself. I really enjoy that. And um, for any Polish listeners, when I was in Poland, Stanisław Wyspiansky reminded me of my dad because that was, that's a... That's an author who was active around 1900, who was both a painter and a writer. And however, my dad's also a musician and an actor. So I thought it was even more, but even that just being a famous painter and a, a, sorry, but a famous painter, playwright and poet. That was Wyspiansky. So just being those three things was like, oh my God, you did too much, but you kind of succeeded and you're going to love you for that. Well, my dad did even more. So, I mean... That's all I want to say about that. And like Wyspiansky, who grew up in South Poland, the mountain area, and talked about those people, like the Gorelskis, my dad kind of focuses on the people he knows best, so the Irish. But then also he talks about how he just doesn't understand Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that's one big theme, but also his work also gets very raw sometimes and very personal. Uh, but it's always kind of interlinked Irish, often tragic or more tragic than anything. History interlinked with his own life, sometimes comedic and sometimes tragic too, I feel. So I've been reading from his um, latest book, uh, which he calls after his latest album. So both of them are called No Citation. And the theme of it is basically he's been working for quite some time in the in the art world, music, poetry, everything, acting. And he got, uh, you know, he's not really getting the recognition. Not that he's saying he need, that he deserves recognition, but he's not getting 
it probably feels like it's been a long road, you know, and yeah. that's, you know what I mean? So like, I think like, I would also get to that point where it's like, I've been doing a lot of stuff and yeah, but I'm not, but I'm not quite as recognized as I feel that I should be by now. Because in the end, it's like you've put a lot of work into your art and um, it's not about being a comp- um, best or whatever. It's just about being recognized. Yeah. And I find that very relevant because um, he released that album during the first quarantine and it's basically just um, no one's getting any citation, really. I mean, yeah, some are, but especially the musicians and the artists are getting no citation anymore. So um, I found that very relevant. At the same time, it's incredibly, the album I'm talking about now is incredibly um, personal. So I don't think he ever did a more personal album. And for me, it's there's a lot of kind of, um, some. Like he wrote a song about me. He also wrote a song about both my grandfathers, Fun and Love, okay. in that album. And about my brother is in it as well. And, and his brother who passed away in 2013, there's a lot of death and birth and and kind of like history repeating itself in funny ways. And there is um there is a even a song in it um which is basically about Trump. I did not realize it oh. was about Trump at the time. No, I didn't realize, but it's about Trump. I have to ask him that. But I only realized when I read No Citation and other poems, which includes um, if not all the lyrics from No Citation some of the other albums and a, and a few poems that are not turned into songs or at least not into record songs. Mm-hmm. And he did. He, he, um, There's a very angry song in that album that I did not exactly realize was about Trump, but now reading about it and in the, as a poem, it kind of makes more sense. Change the title to November 2016. Yes. And so, yeah, so that makes more sense to me now. And anyway, um, not sure if I'm going to I want to actually read out a few of his poems, but I'm going to maybe read out that one in another time. I, li- I like that one, actually. Yeah, that's that's a good one, right? Anyway, um, yeah, I really like that one, too. Uh, no Citation, the album, it comes across as very... Uh, I want to say the word... Um, what's the word exactly? It, I want to say angry, but it comes across as very sort of critical of uh, modern society and about... A lot of things actually so it's uh from all his albums i find that it's like it's most kind of social one or or like a, the biggest social critique and the poems as well in some sense but um he adds a lot of um personal anecdotes and more than an- anecdotes and also just tragedies in it so it's very raw and they always have been very raw his is that's what i love about his art in general it's yeah. always been very raw. i mean do you want to remember like for example as an actor when you saw him as well. I mean, that was also a very sort of uh, personal experience. I found it was a bit kind of, it was very naked sort of his experience as the big bad wolf. So he that's the one big, of my, wolf. my two main memories of, of Kieran is watching him as the big bad wolf, you know, playing that yeah. piano with a full moon in the sky and doing the full kind of 360 back turn. You know, that's, that was an awe inspiring moment. I saw that in, in the theater yeah. twice and I've watched it a recording yeah. since it's amazing. Yeah. We watched it together, right? The first time. That, that, that yeah. Was we that. saw it together. What what's your second memory? The second memory is is going to Teatro and seeing him play, you know, nice candlelit dinners and seeing him just sing and play piano. I took all my all my dates there in the old days, you know, just to like oh, nice romantic spot, you know, beautiful kind of setting, great voice, just really set the set the tone, set the mood, you know. 
actually great thing is that all his albums, the last two albums and the one coming up in February, um, they're going, they're available in band camp. And I think they're incredibly, he's very generous with, um, I've got to say, I've told him this as well. Like, I sure you want to do this. And I said, well, yeah, he's fine with doing it. Like they're all very cheap. Like that's, that's why I find quite incredible as a musician, not really many money, but he's just putting the music there almost for free up on Bandcamp and on YouTube anyway and stuff like and that. And so I've, really... I've been listening to him on Spotify last couple of days as well. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. So, I mean, um, but yeah, anyway, uh, I want to I read out this poem, which is uh, that, I, that I suggest he puts into the final edits of No Citation and other poems because it's still not quite finished. So uh, he's got a f- short version. I'm trying to convince him making a long version. He's also in the middle of, of writing a novel and he's in the middle of doing a short movie. So he's a busy man. And this was written perhaps. So anyway, so I'm going to put it now into recording. <laughs> My Sorcerer, My Inquisitor by Karen Burke. No one else could run clear across the universe or charm reindeer quite as good as you or blow sweet, sad music through the purple mist or float naked silver blue and your tears all your tears were turquoise you who could walk on orange and yellow air and make snowflakes turn chimney red while moonlight shone all day long through your hair and caterpillars slept inside you while your silence came to me like songs of kings how long I would wait for your answers, only for the words to drown in the fluttering of butterfly wings. And now with time and oceans between us, I want to touch the emptiness in your belly, which defines from the workings of your hearts. And if you watch me from above, needing you and kissing you there, Would you concede that my soul was good and true? Or would you still suspect me of being an addict for conjuring tricks? That's very powerful. So, yeah. And his two novels, by the way, are fictional, but they're surprisingly uh, autobiographical. They're still fiction. But uh, that's that's uh, that's for another time. Uh, But anyway, I actually love both the novels. And his plays, but I'm looking forward particularly to the third novel, which is, which is, it sounds a bit like a Dostoevsky kind of Dostoevsky on, um, on cider. Do you know what I mean? It's a very kind of a (laughs) Dublin, it's a very Dublin, dark, grimy tale. And from, yeah, there's, there's darkness and kind of things in his two novels, but I think this one is a lot more kind of like, this is this is Breaking Bad now in Dublin, kind of. That's the way it sounds, okay. so I'm looking wow. forward to it. Can't wait to read it then. Hey, but PJ, I think yeah. the, uh, I think I hear the phone ringing. Do you want to pick up and see who's calling into the show? Okay, um, yeah. Hello? Hello. Can't believe it, Dean. It's my oh, actual dad. Your dad's actually it's ringing my... on the show. It's sick. It's, uh, Kieran Burke, live on the live on the books, boys. Live on the welcome. books, boys. Welcome, welcome to the show. What a what a great coincidence! You're calling in. Yeah, Jesus. I was curious. I was curious about what you guys were getting up to. I mean, our story could be a, a good old the Ken, a good, <laughs> kind of the the Kenjin kind of story going on there. Kylo's really fun, yeah. 
I mean, I, I hope that, you know, you guys have a, a happier story than the most of the Dickens I've read. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's a comparison you want to get too, it's, too far it's, into. It's the Dickens on, on his best day, you know, feeling optimistic, <laughs> feeling Pickwickian. That's well, yes. a, lot of, a lot of Dickens ended up happily, though, didn't it? I mean, let's, let's have a yeah. Like it usually it. ends happy, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Terrible stuff goes on in the middle. Yeah, um. you've, you've got to have a lot of hardship, and then at the very end, everyone's happy, and they're all, you know, they all get married, and it's, you know, it's a brilliant, happy ending, but uh, they go through some hardships to get there. <laughs> what's your Actually, favorite talk- Dickens? What, what, uh, both of you, what? Oh, Dean, what's your um, favorite Dickens? I don't want to be a stereotype, but I think I have to say Oliver Twist. It's a good one. It is a good one. I mean, I, I've read them all, but I still think it was the you know one of the first I read, and it just it just endured mm. as as just it's, it's just a lovely story. And although it's it's sad in parts, but it just stands out, and the characters are brilliant. You know, the artful Dodger and and Fagin. It's just I don't know. There's something really special about that one. Mm, yeah. What, what about you, PJ? I thought, you know, the one that the Pickwick Papers, sure, it's, oh, the, one always, it's the one we're always quoting. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I always say capital. Oh, but yeah. Kieran, like what's, what's your own favorite Dickens? Uh, it has to be Nicholas Nickleby. Right. Yes, yeah. it's a good one. I love, uh, I love Nicholas. Uh, I love him and I love Smike. And I love the characters, uh, Smike. And I, I hate when Smike dies. But I love their adventures when Nicholas Nickleby uh, uh, rescues them from from a do the boys school, uh, and and yeah, he, he lashes squares with uh, Mr. Squares with uh, with the with the whip, whatever they used to chastise the children with. He yes. Uh, so then they escape themselves and Smike escape, and they go on the road for a while. With the, well, they go on the road, but they meet up with a Phillips uh, theatrical. A traveling show, <laughs> and Nicholas, of course, is an ideal leading man, and Smike is an ideal um, guy who's starving. He has the most uh, character, uh, the best character face that the the uh, great ham actor who runs the show uh, saw. So I love these elements in it, you know. And I was I, recently I saw in the Crescent Art Center um, a, a play called Do the Boys Hall. It was simply um, taken from the moment Nicholas Nickleby signs on with. With square, squares, okay. uh, you know his own to when he rescues uh, Smike. Oh, so yeah. a whole play you could take that um, story and yeah. make several plays out of Nicholas Nickleby. You could possibly do the same with Oliver Twist. There, I must say, Oliver <laughs> Twist. My dad used to do the whole Oliver Twist on a table with a costume for us on Friday nights. Oh, that's amazing! Oh, Jesus, that was incredible. And he remembered the whole thing. And he, this was before the musical came out. You know, when the musical came out, okay, everyone was there. Fagin uh, was iconic then, you know. Yes. But, uh, and and um, Mr. Bumble and the whole Artful Dodger. But when my dad did uh, did the whole play, did this, and I remember, you know something? I took this play. He, I know where he was reading from. He was reading from a version that had pictures in it. And it was, you know, one of the plays for, mm-hmm. for uh, Amateur Society. I lost the class. I, mean, I had his class in the Liberties in Dublin. I was teaching drama for a while. And uh, I don't think he ever forgave me. He used to say to me right towards the end, what about that Oliver Twist? I, <laughs> that happened to me tonight. I I, uh, I was uh, thinking of calling in the books, boys, and discussing literature. I find that because I'm not living with all my books, 
Some of them are in a, in a house in Spain and some of them are in a house in Vermont and the rest are in a storage down the road. So I might have in the house here about 150 books, which is nothing for us, right, PJ? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, like the same with me. I've got them all over the place as well. Poland, Japan, Russia, yeah, Ireland. Are. In your place, I've got some books in here. <laughs> you have. So, and that, uh, actually, that's interesting you mentioned Dickens and your grandfather, because I did want to ask you about, like, your, the influence of your own, of your dad's, um, in, in your your work, so I mean, in No Citation, you got a song called "What a, What an Actor," and also in the poetry book. So they're all interlinked. That's why I'm mentioning the music and the poetry. Oh yeah, well, well, he was a he was a great actor, your your grandfather. But his yeah. his his father, P.J. Burke. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I'm named after. Oh yeah, he, yeah, he was a famous actor, an yeah. actor manager, and. Um, Traveled, had a couple of traveling shows on the road. They called them fit up shows because um, they simply arrived in the village and set up a tent and off they went. Or they, or they could use a village hall, depending on what they could get. But they were going from, from town to town. But he ended up managing the Queen's Theatre on Pierce Street. Now gone, it became the Abbey took it over when the Abbey Fire happened. And was your um, new novel, uh, the one coming out, uh, I got the feeling, as I do with the other stuff, that. Um, and from just from our talks, that you have uh, some, let's just say you have some problems basically with um, the Irish upbringing. I wanted to talk to you about basically that in, in in your novel, the one you're writing about, you're talking a lot about the about the dark sides of growing up in Dublin in the in a, in the sixties, seventies. Do you want yeah. to say anything? About that? Well, yeah, yeah. True. I had I had the weird experience of. Um, Coming from a not impoverished family, but we certainly weren't wealthy. But yeah. we had this theatrical background, which made us, um, which, which kind of gave us middle class. By the way, middle class in Dublin in those days made you a three bedroom house, and you're, you were a civil servant, or you know, yeah. uh, you were a white collar worker. Um, yeah. Didn't mean anything financial. So we had a three bedroom house in uh, which was called a purchase house. Right, okay. You know the house, but across the, the other side of the church were the corporation houses, the corporate houses, and yep. those people rented their houses. Now, they had three bedrooms as well, one bathroom. But I was known as a poshy because I went to a school across the across the church, and my parents had no idea what they were doing, presenting me to that church. And some people, some guys, with their heads down, kept their heads down. Um, but I was in a class. There was A, B, and C. I was in B. If you were in A, you were cool. Students, mm-hmm. the best of the bunch. I was, uh, if you were C, was, I don't know what happened to people in C. But in B, there were a lot of people who uh, I suppose my parents wouldn't have wanted me to mix with. But yeah. that's what I'm writing about. They, I got to know uh, a lot of stuff. Because um, basically, just, just for listeners, you're, what you're doing is you took your own play, Catnap, uh, which is about a, a female detective. Um, you know, it's basically a, a noir, basically a female detective going against the rough guys in Dublin. And there's a very interesting sort of, for me, it's very interesting because it's kind of like the women are going after like uh, scruffy kind of men and they're all very kind of, um, they're all kind of very pre- pretty much vile men. And I find also when I, when Catnap for me, the play was very sort of, all of a sudden this is Dublin becoming very cosmopolitan, not really like your childhood. But now you're saying that the catnap that you so you're writing a novel basically, which is like catnap 
extend it or Kadnav revisit it and you're turning, you, but now you're focusing, you seem to be focusing a lot on, that's why I mentioned Ostoyevsky, you seem to be focusing a lot on these dark characters from Katnap, which you didn't go too deep into. Now you're actually going into why they're so effed up, basically. Exactly. I'm taking their, their backstories. The, the play presents yeah. a love that. Yeah. The central figure who, in Katnap who's kidnapping people's dogs and cats <laughs> is a guy who feels uh, absolutely marginalized, beautiful African ladies in their costumes and handsome, what he sees as handsome uh, Romanian men and Russian women going around in beautiful leopard print, goddamn trousers washed <laughs> onto them. I mean, he, dies, he's a man. he feels nobody looks at him. He's, he's, a, he's a, a pale-faced guy from maybe from Mullingar or something. He works as a hospital porter and he lives in the flats and he's surrounded by exotica. Now, they might see themselves as being in a bad position or everyone may be on the dole and uh, uh, some of them may even be illegals and some of them may be all, all the problems inherent in, in, uh, in immigration. Uh, but all he sees is that nobody's noticing him. Yeah. He, he's, he's intimidated by the wonderful people who come from all, all every corner of the world to this neighborhood where he also has to live. That's that's one of the central themes. But, but the, the gangsters run the place. But the gangsters now have a problem because there are gangsters from Eastern Europe also trying to take over. And that's yeah, okay. uh, that's where that's where I'm going with it. And uh, there's a backstory of how my gangster became a gangster in the first place. Um, right. Okay. It's you see what I like about um, Catnap extended. Let's just call it. Is that it's? Uh, do you agree with Justine? It's very. Um, well, I haven't read it yet, Dean. But I haven't read it now. But just from the themes alone, um, they're very kind of existentialist. I know that sounds maybe slightly pretentious or so, me saying it, but it is basically. It's kind of like post-war existentialism was Camus. Um, it's very like Dostoevsky's pre, yeah, uh, pre-communist existentialism. And it's all basically, and now as an existentialist time was COVID and just Trump just, just left, thank God, but still Boris Johnson's around. And I find um, you're just observing it that all of it, and you're observing a lot of the populism, basically, that's rising. But you're focusing on your own territory, you know. So it's just kind of like something which a lot of authors do. You're focusing on what what you know. You're not really, you're not really going to like, oh, I'm going to write about Finland and like do some research. You're not really, you're not really the research kind of author. For you. You're just more like, I'm going to stick to my <laughs> what I know best. Because there are so like Colin McCann, for example, is a great research novelist. But you're more of a, I'm going to stick to my deep experiences and you're even getting even more into the dark sides of whatever you saw in your life is like very brave i find well it's very inner kind of i will do research but it will be also it'll be about something i already know about and i'll reiterate that's what i meant i'll reiterate my research with uh, other people's experiences and i'll I'll double check things and so on exactly Um, yes that's what i mean yeah and also you you write and paint and and about piano man you know or about the Mind Reader, your other novel is about a man who, who's in the Canaries, so you do, and because of me, you spend a lot of time in Canaries, so I love that about... Um, well, I'll, that, take them, I'll take them elsewhere, but they're essentially uh, our experiences that, I, that I, can, I, can, I can relate to, so even though I, 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 I can relate to my central character because of who they are, but I also know that these, you know, have a feeling of alienated feelings that the people yeah. have who are who may seem derogatory about um, 
foreigners, you know. Um, and it's actually an inferiority complex. And like this feeling a bit like isolated, that's where not, no citation comes into play, right? And your, your new, um, your upcoming short movie as well. What's it called again? The short movie is called No Ex- Ex- Explanation. <laughs> no Explanation. It's, it's very much a movie about um, two people writing about the lockdown. But mm. the backdrop of it is the last lockdown. But the, the movie would only be possible because of the song. And of course, mm. Ali O'Neill, who wrote, I wrote the lyrics of one song out of eight. She uh, is a support poet. She, we had her poetry on. Um, yeah, you did. I heard December, that. Yeah. I mean, her words, her words are absolutely stunning. Awesome. Well, look. We're, we're probably going to wrap this up now. Dean, do you have any questions? Yeah, I was just going to ask you just generally, um, before we let you go, two questions. Um, just to tie it back to you know, what we do mostly, which is just kind of book recommendations. Can you tell me the last book you read and also just a general recommendation from your old favorites? Yes, I'll give you the last book you read. It. This is, uh, I don't know, it's people are, you know, oh my goodness, that's not literature. It's Anthony Horowitz. Oh, yes. Magpie, Magpie Murders. He's the guy who writes, for example, Foil's War, very intelligent, uh, easy thing. He writes a lot of books. But uh, Magpie Murders, it's, it's a great rom, great right. mystery, and a great uh, time-shifting um, uh, novel as well. So I recommend it to anybody. He, who's not he wrote there. Alex Ryder and then that series of books, didn't he? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes. And uh, okay. typically he writes about a writer and publishers mm. who are... And, uh, I won't tell you the story, the... Uh, but the writer, their main man, their main author is murdered. Mm. And uh, a backstory comes in and out of it. It's great. That's, anyway, that's the most recent thing I've read a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And what's, awesome. what's the book you recommend? Oh, for recommend for people to go out and buy. Well, yeah, in general. I'm always trying to think what's my best, what's one of my favorite novels. And I, I'll tell you something. Iris Murdoch is one of my favorite novels. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, I so Iris I picked Murdoch. Nuns and Soldiers. As my favorite, one of my, you know, my top five. It's in my top five. None of soldiers. So, yeah, just, just any, for your listeners. Anyone who hasn't read Iris Murder and picks these one in a shop, bookshop, secondhand bookshop, or anything, I would suggest get it. But if you want my favorite, Nuns and Soldiers, but I wouldn't be at all disappointed if uh, I couldn't find mm-hmm. it and I, and I put my hand out and well, any, any one of her books came into my hand. I mean, oh, they're, they're great. Yeah. The Sandcastle is my favorite, I think. But Iris Murdoch is. Yeah, I read it for it's good. It's good, yeah. Uh, just so you know, uh, for the listeners, Iris Murdoch was an Anglo-Irish novelist who um, got Alzheimer's in the end and passed away. But she's known for like her existentialist themes, and she was also a philosophy uh, academic as well. So she wrote about Camus and Sartre. And something we both agreed on, BJ Jackson's. Yeah. What was the the novel called? Jackson's Jackson's uh, Dilemma, I think. Yeah. We both agreed on this, or did you agree with me that her vocabulary it dealt with somebody who was forgetting, and her vocabulary seemed to be much uh, tighter, much less less words oh. than usual. It's and uh, we yeah. thought that maybe she she commenced that book. It's a it's a pity. Yeah, Alzheimer's is a big. I was associated with her yeah, for some reason. Yeah. So, but it was a brilliantly written book for somebody who may have been in the early stages or any stages of. Oh, definitely, yeah. Definitely. Memory loss um, condition. 
And well, just for listen, just just for the listeners, I, I really recommend Iris Murdoch if you want uh, novels about basically kind of memory shifting and trying thoughts that are keep running in and out. Uh, reading Iris Murdoch, you kind of often forget what's happening because it feels like a dream. The whole thing, all of us. So I do love that about oh, yeah. very very you underrated novels. You can go back and read any of her novels and, and they find it fresh. And I, don't, I don't remember. Read, that. Really recommend it's, it. Uh, it yeah. Might sound like a bad thing. What what was it about? Actually, it's a month ago. I can't. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it's about anymore. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's Castle, yeah. Did I ever know what it was about? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what else is a good book? The Woman in the Dunes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gave you that for your oh, birthday yeah. last year. You yeah. did. You did. And I had read it years and years ago. And it's still a good read. And I'll tell you another one I like. Uh, right Hole Jeep by uh, P.G. Woodhouse. <laughs> uh, once you get that, then you read all the P.G. Woodhouse books. Um, Indeed, did. Peter well, recommended them to me, and I I did read two of them, and uh, I don't know, I just couldn't really get into it. You know, I thought it was is Agatha Christie, but without the plot. I don't know, without the twist. <laughs> just... Agatha, Agatha Christie losing the plot. That's <laughs> oh. <laughs> what I didn't hear. I suppose you've got to be an enthusiast or not, lads. Midnight's Children, Salmon Rose, has to be it. Ah, Midnight's Children, yeah. The imagery That's... in that, the double meanings, the treble meanings. And Some for those who think you have to know about Islam and uh, Hindu and you know Indian lore, you don't because he's already got two meanings going on before you can get to the third. He's, he's a genius. Yeah, I, I own a copy of that book. I'll have to try it. I, I only read the first few pages and I, I find his writing style a bit weird for me and I just stopped. So oh, I'll okay. have to go back to it Here, and give it a try. Here's a little plot twist for all of you listeners. The copy my dad is holding is actually your copy, Dean. Well, yeah, just... I don't have it anymore. Oh no! Yeah, no, I just for some. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> you, you you said at the time I could have it, so yeah, I think, that, I think I remember now. Yeah, I thought it was okay, still, yeah. still lying on one of you the know, bookshelves. You know, you know where I live. You can pick this up. <laughs> I have another <laughs> copy in Spain. I uh, don't worry, don't worry. I've got so many books in my queue to get to. It'll be about a year before I have time now, to put a new one that in. Anyway. Said, this runs out of steam. It's like to me, I, I, I can't, it's like book three. It's a part three of it. Mm. Runs out of steam. They're in the mm. jungle, and uh, I remember that they stuff mud in their ears to stop the awful noises. And of course, they never <laughs> hear again because they get infected. And that's a, a great uh, imagery from from lots of stuff. But apart from that, I, I kind of got bored with them in the jungle. Mm. Um, but but, and then he comes back to his old his old uh, haunts, and it's it's, uh, it's got to be read. Dean, you know what? Pick it up. Got to read. It. You can make me read something that I don't like as well. <laughs> <laughs> there, there what do you not like? So you what, must... what do you not like? Oh God, lots of stuff. Something that maybe you know what you were talking about a few weeks ago. Um, uh, Don Quixote, Don Quixote, yeah. and I have never, uh, although Salman Rushdie said also it was the best book ever written and his favorite when I heard him in uh, in Belfast giving a lecture. Mm. Um, and I've never tackled it. So. It's one that I need to get to as well, you know. I was oh, relying on PJ that. kind of filling me uh, in and telling me how it was first before I tackled it myself. Because I want to read smart. it in Spanish, and I wanted to make sure my Spanish was Ooh. ready, you know, before I tried to Spanish read it. Coming? I mean, I can, I can read okay. So, for example, next I'll month I'm again. going to read The Fourth Zafon book in Spanish. And that's, you know, I thought... Read, you've, and I can talk you've read all the Zafon book in Spanish. I've read yeah, all in Spanish, yeah. Spanish. But I was just worried with Quixote being, you know, maybe a little bit old-fashioned language it might be not. trickier you know 
Well, Don Quixote is nah, because it? it's just that that is he basically started the modern Spanish with it, like Luther, like Martin Luther did with modern German. This is basically modern Spanish, basically. Fair enough. So it's not going to be like reading Shakespeare, where you can only really understand about you know sixty percent of it, even in English. No. Exactly, not not like that. No, no. So, what's your book recommendation, Dean? My book recommendation. Um, I think if I had to give a, a book recommendation, I'm going to give The Kin. Um, I'm just going to look up the author's name, but The Kin is this set of four um, books, and oh. they describe these kind of early world. It's by Peter Dickinson. They describe these early world kind of children. It's almost like a creation story. It's set 200,000 years ago. And it's about these four children. It's divided into four books. And it's just their story about kind of getting to know each other and the world and, you know, animals around them and just the world. It's just a nice, um, it's kind of for kids, you know, it's not an adult book as such, but I think you could, you could definitely sit down and read it. It's just a kind of creation story within four different perspectives and four different myths. Mm. Um, it's a, I mean, if you get the, the collection of the all four, it's massive, you know, but um, it's it's really, really worth reading, particularly kind of, I would say, maybe for kids and for teens, especially, maybe. Dean, it's called The Kin, K-I-N. K-I-N, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. I'll check it out. I'd say my book recommendation, just because my dad's on the show today, has to be Laying on Thick, good old Salmon Wushdi. The um, book is called Harun and the Sea of Stories. Oh, great book, great book. So you gave me the book, you gave me two, uh, two versions of the book, a picture book and the book by itself when I was about nine or 10. And I loved it as a kid. And I loved it uh, when I, uh, I, re- I read it two years ago, twice in one go. I just had to, I read it and then I had to re- read it again. I think it's possibly, this is very controversial, but I think it might be possibly the best children's book along with Heidi. From So I think those two books are definitely my favorite books from the children's but both of those books will be among my top like 10 if i were had to if i had to take 10 books out of space at if i were going to space taking 10 books i would have to take heidi along and uh by johanna spiri and um Harun and sea of stories it's for i i think samurushi is absolute talent is children's literature not adult fiction okay i'll have to give him another try then yeah try Harun and sea of stories for a pure pure magic it's a great it's a great read I'm interested. Yeah. We've never discussed Heidi before. I love Heidi as well. Oh, I love Heidi. Yeah, have we not discussed it? It's it's a so. great book. I didn't know you felt that strongly though. Uh, certainly, I I loved it. But when yeah. I was a kid, there were radio series, uh, and the first I read Heidi, of course, just because it was a, a radio um, series of Heidi, maybe ran right, for okay. ten weeks, and all of those things. I mean, that, that's how I first saw Rebecca. That's how I first saw. Um, a lot of Dickens stuff plays on the radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they, they seem like films to me. Yeah. I, I saw them. You know, I, I listened yeah. to the radio, but I saw those people and I saw that wow. wheelchair rolling down, Heidi's wheelchair being shut down the, the mountainside. Yeah, that her, her, her friend's wheelchair, yeah. 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 What the, and then, oh no, it's a good thing. You know, I mean, I remember that moment. I, I, I loved uh, when she tried to save the soft bread for her grandfather. As well. Have and you I read believe... it in German? You see, I did read it in English when I was a kid, but when I read it in German, uh, it was mind blowing. So, just that's oh, yeah, that's yeah. a fiction in translation is lost often. People so try to read an original like Dean is doing there with Safon. That's what I recommend. It's just or like or like Hermann Hesse in German as well. 
Awesome. Well, we're well, going to wrap up. Kieran, we're going to wrap well. up. Um, I yeah. think to, to close the show, we'll we'll play, if you want, uh, Kieran will play one of your songs. Which... I, think, I think the new single, right? The... You want to go for the new single? Survive Happy Birthday uh, by Karen Burke uh, with lyrics uh, by Eileen O'Neill and uh, Maeve Smith, right, that, on Harmonies. It's a really All interesting harmony, show. Yeah. It's a duet, yeah. But I'm on Facebook all over. Facebook. And you're in, on Instagram, right? Instagram, yeah. Kyron so Burke, guys. K-Y-R-O-N, Burke. Thanks for being on the show, then. Awesome. Thank well, you very much for calling in. That was a, a lovely surprise, you know? You didn't expect yeah, it. good to see you. Sorry, lads. I didn't realize that I'd, I'd feature. I just wanted to say hello and, and go. It's, 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 uh, it's epic. It was a great coincidence that just as PJ was talking about your poems, you know, you rang in like uh, like magic, you know? Neither it's of us amazing, were prepared, yeah. you know? Did he say any good stuff? Did he say good stuff? Or... He said very good stuff. Good. Oh, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah, so um, we will tick us out with uh, the new song, Survive Happy Birthday, that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. And um, just for any listeners that want to get in touch with any recommendations, you can email booksboys at hotmail.com. Just let us know what you've been reading, and you can be within with the chance of winning a mystery book. Um, also go to our website, booksboys.com. You can find links to all the different places that you can find the show and some links to purchase our recommendations and help support the show as well. Especially today, as there were many books mentioned, so we'll write them down as well. We'll write them down and there'll be links to purchase and uh, aud- yeah. audible uh, audiobook links as well. Get a free, free audiobook on us. And this week's episode right. was brought to us by Miss Prissy Piddleduck's Lavatorial Book Symporium. Get the best books to read on the toilet. That's awesome, man. Very important. Very important. Very important. Guys, that's us. We will be back next month with another episode of Books Boys. All right. Take care, guys. See you. The wind shall sweep autumn's leaves. Sunshine will drizzle midst wispy webs Soon we'll be together again Hug shall embrace our missing kisses Fear will rest itself Unwritten songs will be sung. Rest in To sense hope's enticement, and we'll sing Happy, Happy birthday. birthday again. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday to you.
It's good to touch you again. Boys was presented by the Dean and P. J. Burke in association with Thaddeus Penguin Productions. Ah. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Frissy Piddle Ducks Lavatorial Emporium. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.com. The intro uses Driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Bands EP by Trapdoor. And the outro uses Dog's Light by Bravo Max from the album of the same name. All music used is either Podsafe or used with permission. If you're in the US and you would like to purchase any of our recommendations, please use the Amazon links for your book purchases and the Audible link on our website for your audio book purchases and help support the show. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends and come back next time for another episode of Books Boys. Read some books! I didn't even know what an Aspidistra was, I had to, to look it up. And this is one chap who just says, what ho, and what what. And uh, I quite like that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.